Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. We're going to start out by thanking our Patreon subscribers from this past week. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Take it away, Desi. We have a lot of new stuff we just posted. Two movie recaps. Yeah. And a really scary mysteries in the macabre. Desi Uh, told a very scary ghost slash true crime story. Yeah. So... Go check it out. You can access all of that content immediately as well as ad-free episodes. Who benefited from that um, join this week? (laughs) Lisa, Molly, Nicole, Ashley, Sarah, Janine, Lacey, Emily and Meg, Laura, Emily, Heather, Amy, Liz, Jessica, Mary, Becca Ann. Hi, Becca Ann. Brett, Patrick. Brie like the cheese, mm. Sydney, Catherine, Laura, Chayla, Maggie, Donnie, Nora, Sharjuma, Holly, Marianne, and Hannah. Thank you all very Thank you much. Guys. All right, Des. This is part one of Ala Nazimova. We don't know how many parts this is going to be. Wow. Possibly just two. (laughs) We'll see. It's a big story. Yeah. It's a lot. My main source for this episode is the book Nazimova by Gavin Lambert. I also use some old newspaper articles as well, which I will mention in the episode. What a story. What a life. We, We briefly talked about Allah on our episode, our first installment of the Chateau Marmont series, because she lived in the house slash hotel, the Garden of Allah, across the street from the Chateau, which was said to be even more debaucherous than the Chateau. Yeah. I remember in that episode, we're like, we should do an episode on her. Yeah. <laughs> so now we are. And her and her life story is is equally, if not more, wild and interesting than her days living across the street from the Chateau. So this story, this episode will focus on her early life as well as her early acting career. Let's get started because we're starting starting in Eastern Europe. Ooh. So (laughs) we're going back. Ala Nazimova was born... Adelaida Leventon in 1879 in Yalta, which was then part of the Russian Empire. Her father, Yaakov, grew up a poor Jew in the Pale of Settlement, which was a region where many Jews of the Russian Empire were confined for over a century. Unless you were one of the few Jewish people with a college education or had some kind of wealth, 
you were forced to live in the shtetls in the Pale. And there weren't many Jews who were able to travel Mm -hmm. outside of it. You had to have like a special passport. And life was not great living in the Pale. Jews were forbidden from having certain jobs, and so most of them lived in poverty. When they weren't just trying to keep their heads above water, they were subject subjected to violent pogroms. One of Jacob's siblings managed to save enough money to attend university, and he went on to become a surgeon. From there, he was able to pay for his other siblings to attend school, giving them a chance to pull themselves out of poverty. Yaakov dreamed of being a respected chemist, coming up with his own inventions that garnered no interest from anyone. And so he wound up working as a pharmacist's assistant in Kiev, still living in poverty. He had this idea for like a medicated soap and also some weird kind of ice. It wasn't dry ice. (laughs) It was something. But, But for whatever reason, nobody was interested. Yeah, And he lived in poverty. But he managed to win the heart of a younger girl from a wealthy Jewish family in Berdachev. Sonia was just 15 years old when they met. And Yaakov was 28. Oh. And her family was like, okay. That's wild. I guess if, like, at first they bristled at this idea. I don't know if it was because of his age, but it was definitely mostly because he was poor. Yeah. And this that's was, what I was thinking would be the bigger yeah. issue for them. And this was like one of the like few like Jewish families in the area that actually had some money. So they were like, what is but they really liked each other. Okay. Uh and they got married and Yaakov suddenly was living in this new life of privilege. But he was a terrible husband. Uh, they moved to Yalta for its temperate climate in 1876 with their two children, and Yaakov opened his own pharmacy. Sonia hoped that their marriage would improve, but Yaakov was still the same abusive man as before. <gasps> she attempted several times to leave him, but to no avail. And in June of 1879, their daughter, Adelaida, was born. They called her Allah for short. Following the wave of anti-Jewish pogroms and exiles across the region in the 1880s, Alla and her family had to relocate to Switzerland. Yaakov continued to abuse his wife and now children, including young Alla. After her parents divorced, Alla's mother seemingly vanished, and her father Yaakov returned to his pharmacy in Yalta. Alla was sent to live in Bessabaria, in western Ukraine to live with her uncle. While living there, she came down with typhus and measles, as well as chickenpox. Whoa. She's like eight years old. This is a lot. This is a lot of moving. She lived in so many different places Yeah, from such a young age, whether they had to flee out of uh, imminent danger yeah, or... In this case, like she had to leave Switzerland, and her dad was like, "Well, I'm going back to my pharmacy." Yeah, you can See ya. <laughs> bye. And like, it's very bizarre. Like, it was kind of confusing. Like, her mom sort of just disappeared, and she would only see her mom like one other time. Oh, so the mom was still alive. She was still alive. Mm-hmm. The dad didn't like kill her yeah. or whatever. She was still alive. Um, not long after Yaakov returned from Yalta because his pharmacy burned down. 
Uh-oh. So he's like, I guess I got to pick up my kid. <laughs> he would take his daughter and move back to Switzerland, this time in Zurich. So he just had one kid with him now? Well, what's interesting is Yala's two, Yala's two siblings, Nina and Volodia, they were living with a different family. So okay. they split up. I see. So then he just picked up the one after the pharmacy burnt down. Correct. Yeah. Alla thought that he was taking her back to her mother, which is really sad because she loved her mom. But instead, he dropped her off at a foster home where her other siblings were already, where the other siblings were already living. So she did reunite with her younger or her older sister and her older brother at this point. She would eventually live with her father again as she moved constantly throughout her childhood. I mean, this is a series of foster homes, living with relatives. Yeah. I wonder why, if they had relatives, they were ever in a foster home. I guess just convenience. I honestly don't know. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe they only wanted them for a few months. It just seems better to leave them in one place. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. When she was 10 years old... Alla was 10 years old when she performed for an audience for the first time at a children's violin recital. She was a violinist. That was like oh. her first foray into the arts was her violin lessons. Ahead of this performance, she came up with her stage name, Adelaida Nazimova. She chose the surname Nazimova based on a character in a Russian novel called Children of the Streets. So... Clearly this woman, this little girl, is like old beyond her years. Yeah, she has a flair for drama. She clearly <laughs> has a flair for drama. She's like, I picked it from a Russian novel. About children on the streets. I'm 10 years old. <laughs> this is my stage name. Also, there was another reason why she chose a stage name. Her huh? dad, being such a dick, told her, I don't want you to use the family name unless you get successful. And she's like, how about I just never do? And that's what happened. (laughs) Alla's performance was well-received, but her father, for whatever reason, decided to give her a beating afterwards. Oh. Many years later, Alla would comment on her persistent stage fright and the depression that would follow after her performances, most likely rooted in in these beatings her dad would give her. Right. It's like a negative reinforcement. Like you've done something wrong. Right. After her run in the Ibsen play Ghosts many years later, she would say, even after the 38 recorded curtain calls for being Mrs. Alving, I felt like biting everybody and wishing I could hide somewhere out of sight. Hmm. At age 12, she was enrolled in the school in school at the Imperial Gymnasium, where class went from morning until evening. Though her school was intensive, she was just happy to be out of the house and away from her dad. I get that. <laughs> yeah, this was like a haven for her. Yeah. And she just focused all her effort into this. When she was 15, she was shipped off to boarding school in Odessa, which I guess was even better. Yeah. She's not around him at all. Alla, however, was the only Jewish person at this school, and so the kids nicknamed her Antichrist. Oh. But she loved the nickname. (laughs) Who wouldn't? She's like, you're right. (laughs) And you better not fuck with me. (laughs) That's what she did. She's like, I am the Antichrist. (laughs) 
<laughs> she embraced the title, opting to stick her tongue out at kids, and she would make like weird demon faces. Oh my god! In the hallways, the girls found this funny, and they would laugh. And she liked making people laugh. Yeah. So she really like look. It was. <laughs> she's like, you know what? I get you're being very anti-Semitic to me. This is funny. It's the greatest lesson a kid can learn to yeah. like take that bullying and kind of twist it back on them or something. Yeah. yeah. So she did that very successfully. She was, however, a problem student and was and frequently disobeyed her teachers. She also kept banned books in her desk and talked back to the teachers. Nice. So, you know, she's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm a hellion. When the school burned down. <laughs> Okay, wait a second. <laughs> okay, I had to check. First the pharmacy. Is she an arsonist? She's not, <laughs> she's not an arsonist. But it is an interesting coincidence, as well as reading that the school had burned down right after. She's like, yeah, I'm the Antichrist. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that fires were more devastating back in the day. You know what I mean? Like they probably happened more and you couldn't really do anything about them. Yeah. So. And like how good was the fireproof technology then? Not very good. Everything's made out of straw and hay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Don't email me. I know that's and, not like, true. And like mud bricks. No. <laughs> All right. This is the late 19th century. So that's not true. We know that. But in our fantasy, this is a school made of straw. The big bad wolf It has came. the straw roof. Yeah. The- that's a straw roof and a constant chimney smoking. Yes. That's a fire it's hazard. very cute. So it was, so Ala was sent to live with a new foster family. Okay. She's like, well, that school's done. <laughs> it was while living with this family that she became interested in acting as the two other girls she was living with were both actresses who performed at a local theater. When she returned home to her father's in the summer of 1895, she was under the guardianship of her older brother, Volodia. Her father was in a sanatorium recovering from a stroke, much to the relief of Alla. Phew. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. She asked her older brother to enroll her in theater school. He told her to wait a year because she was too young, which frustrated her. But she spent that next year working on her image and in the art of performance. Alla had grown up believing she was ugly, a sentiment that she said her father had expressed to her. According to Alla, my face was much too round, too fat, my nose too thick, the brows too wide, the mouth too small. I was always tripping over things or hitting chairs and tables with my hips because my body was too short, plump, and awkward. Volodia reached out to a friend of their father's, a man named Ivan Keller, who lived in Moscow, and he had connections. So he helped her get into this drama school in Moscow, which is a big deal. Volodia, having served in the military, was able to travel outside of the pale of settlement. So he had a special privilege as a Jewish person. He was able to vouch for Allah to get a passport so she could leave the pale. In August of 1896, at the age of 17, Alla moved to Moscow and enrolled in the School of Music and Drama at the Moscow Philharmonic Society, where she would study under Stanislavski himself. Wow. That was one of her teachers. Damn. He is the, he's the godfather of method acting. Totally. 
a lot of people study the method that he created, but she actually was with him. (laughs) She literally studied under him. Right. Which is pretty wild. That's like how big of a deal it was for her to get into the school. Allah's brother instructed her to hide her Jewish identity Mm. for her own safety. She was the only Jewish person attending this school. Her brother left her with enough money to last for six months, but Allah would spend it all in three. And it's unclear what she spent it on because her living conditions were not great. She was developing her look. Yeah. (laughs) She was buying face paint and rouge. (laughs) Yeah. What did they use then? Rouge and lead? Yeah. Coal for the eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Allah's father, Yaakov, died a month after she moved to Moscow, and her stepmother ended up taking a big chunk of his money. The rest went to a money lender who had scammed Volodia, her brother, into giving him power of attorney. Ugh. So Alla was left with nothing. So she continued living in poverty yeah. while in Moscow. She moved into a boarding house in a poor neighborhood where she cleaned the house in exchange for room and board. Desperate for money and a good meal, she went over to Ivan Keller's house. He's the guy who was a friend of her father's mm-hmm. who helped her get into the school where she bent over in front of him as he jerked off. Oh. So she would do sex work for a while just to get by. And that like kept her going yeah. for that cold winter in Moscow. With more, just this guy or other guys? Oh, lots of people. Lots of people. She actually lost her virginity to a tenant in her boarding house who paid her for her services. Oh, A classmate of her invited her to a fancy dinner with two wealthy older men, like presumably to, uh, you know, get paid to go on dates with these men. Alla's date, however, ended up sniffing her while they were at dinner. Like he leaned over and sniffed her and said, no, not in a good way. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there is a good way for that. Well, sometimes it's a kink, right? Like. I don't, that's what they want. I don't know what the fuck. Look, this guy was obviously a piece of shit. But okay. He, he starts sniffing her and he's like, I can tell your ethnicity. Oh. And she was obviously keeping the fact that she was Jewish a secret. And so right. she panics and she's like, I'm Russian. I'm Russian. Yeah. That's what I am. And she ended up fainting <gasps> at this dinner because she was so scared of being Aww. found out. Luckily, she managed to safely escape that situation right. and nothing happened. And like the next day at school, her classmate was like, dude, what happened to you? <laughs> you freaked that guy out. Uh, he should be freaked out. Yeah. He's an asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but she eventually met this really wealthy guy who would pay for her apartment. He bought her clothing and in exchange asked for very little sex. So that made Alla happy. An ideal sugar daddy. Yeah. She didn't have to do a lot of work with this guy. And he was just so infatuated with her. He's like, I want you to be living comfortably, sweetie. She's like, sign me up. Around this time, Alla had entered into a suspected romantic relationship with a fellow classmate, a woman named Olga. If they weren't fucking, they were certainly very close. Mm. People suspect, because Ala is not straight. Yeah. So people always suspected, like, oh. Well, I mean, they probably were. They probably were (laughs) fucking. Yeah. 
Let's take a break right here. We'll be right back. Okay. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. In 1898, Allah's teachers, Konstantin Stanislavsky and Vladimir Nemirovich, formed the Moscow Art Theater. Allah performed in a few different small walk-on roles during the theater's opening season. When the season ended, Allah opted to leave the company to perform in a small-town theater. One reason was that she had been burned by her lover, who was a guy who happened to work at the company as Stanislavski's assistant. So mm. she's like, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Nemirovich assumed that Allah was leaving because she was Jewish, as Jews were not allowed to perform in Moscow at the time. Oh, Nemirovich helped Allah get into a theater in Babruisk, which was a poor Jewish town in the Pale of Settlement. The budget for this company was significantly less than in Moscow, but Allah's millionaire John back in Moscow helped to subsidize her lifestyle. Nice. He's like, sweetie, going out of town? Yeah. You need some shoes. (laughs) 
It was here that she met fellow actor Sergei Golovin, who was not wealthy by any means. He was actually quite poor. They married very soon after <gasps> meeting. Their wedding actually took place in a cemetery. Wow. That's goth. She's very extra. <laughs> <laughs> but does she get... Now, if you got married, do you, does that mean you don't get your sugar daddy anymore? Oh, he was still her sugar daddy. Oh, good. Because oh, I was like, I'm not giving that up for Sergey. <laughs> oh, that's how much this guy was horny yeah. for Allah. Yeah, he's hooked. He, <laughs> and I think she like let Sergey know the deal, but he was not happy about that. Oh, I bet. Allah definitely has a dangerous pussy. Absolutely. Diamond level pussy. <laughs> so they got married soon after meeting. The theater company in Babruisk attended the wedding. So like the whole crew, yeah. they came. Allah's former lover from the Moscow theater, the one that she was burned by, his name was Sanin. He attempted to stop the wedding. Ooh. Like he took a train down from Moscow. He did the ultimate dream. That you want to see at a wedding. Absolutely. And we've never seen it. I've never once seen someone object, but we always wait for it. We, you, everyone secretly <laughs> sits there when that is said in a wedding ceremony and secretly low key is like, I, it would be funny because <laughs> they always ask it. It's so dramatic. And there's like a space. There's always a space. I am dying to know. I know we've asked this before, but maybe new, new listeners who haven't heard us ask this question. If you've been at a wedding where someone objected Please, yeah, right into the show. I need to know. I need to know. I also just like dramatic wedding stories in general. Ugh, the best. So he takes the train down. He's like, I'm going to stop this fucking wedding. But he gets there too late. Mm. The ceremony's already happened. So he checks into a local inn. And instead of fucking her new husband... Alla met up with this guy and fucked him. Wow. Well, he did go a long way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She told her husband, her new husband, Sergey, she's like, "Mm, I'm not feeling it tonight. Yeah. You go check into a, stay at the inn. Get some vodka. Get some fucking vodka. I'll be right back. (laughs) That's what happened. I don't even think she was right back. No. She's like... Goes to meet up with Sanin. They start fucking, but Allah was like, wait. She had like, I think she had a small change of heart. (laughs) This is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) She showed him her wedding ring and he just lost. Like he got, he was devastated. But wasn't that why he was on his way there? Yes. But I think seeing it just made it real for him. I see. Well, this guy's so dramatic. (laughs) It's more dramatic. Uh-oh. He said to her, you are like one of those demented Dostoevsky women. <gasps> and she's, she was thrilled to hear this probably. <laughs> she's like, I'm the Antichrist. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a Dostoevsky woman. He returned to Moscow heartbroken. Mm. Just six weeks after her wedding, Alla moved back to Moscow with her new husband and she rejoined the theater. They moved back into her apartment that the millionaire John was still paying for. Now, how was she able to move back? She wasn't found out that she was a Jew. So she wasn't found out, but she got scared and left. And then once she realized the coast was clear, she went back? She didn't get scared. Her her teacher assumed she was scared. She left because of this guy, Sanin, who she, she was like, 
annoyed at him. And I she's see. like, and she was also, I think, frustrated because she had these very small parts. Right. So she was like, I'm going to take my chance at provincial theater companies. Right. Where I can have bigger role, bigger roles. So she eventually just gets I'm bored of this. Yeah. Six weeks later, she's like, I'm going back to Moscow. So she moves into the apartment with her new husband that this millionaire guy is paying for. And the millionaire is still trying to woo Allah. He would show up drunk and sit on their stoop <laughs> and be like, please, and like give her jewelry. Ugh. And she took the jewelry. Of course. But her husband, Sergey, was like, I can't, I can't be your third wheel anymore. Wow. I, I can't do it. And they broke up. But they her and Sergey, her and Sergey broke I love up. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's like, then move out because he pays for this apartment, <laughs> and I ain't leaving. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sergey didn't have money. I mean, he's he's kind of stupid. He should have just let it let it ride. Because I don't. Because she didn't like fucking that millionaire guy. No, and it wasn't that often, and they got to live in this nice apartment. Yeah. So she stayed. They broke up even though they didn't get divorced. That wouldn't happen until many years later. Yeah. So Alla stays married legally. Alla once wrote, love in my life was unfortunate, and I often wonder if the smug bourgeois who envy us know that we go to art to forget and that we work hard because the more we work, the more we forget. Hmm. In 1900, Alla left Moscow for the Caucasus to perform with another provincial theater company. Her performances were acclaimed. One critic called her a genius, to which she replied, you're an idiot. Oh, love it. She's like, I wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? That's me when someone's like, this tweet is genius. I'm like, no, it's just a cum tweet. Yeah. <laughs> it's not genius, <laughs> you fool. <laughs> Later that year, she joined a theater company in Kostroma, which is a town near the Volga River in Russia. By this time, she cut ties with the millionaire because she was like, I'm going to do this all on my own. She thought this was a, a part of her life that she wanted to abandon and sort of start fresh. Yeah, that makes sense. She cut ties with him. She's making major changes in her life. But she had to pawn off most of the jewelry he had given her to pay for her costumes because these theaters were not, did not have a big budget. Right. So the actors had to buy their own costumes. She has to pawn this jewelry. And it was while she was at this theater that she met the actor Pavel Orlanov, who she started an affair with. Though he was a gifted and established actor, Pavel's mental health issues coupled with his alcoholism caused him to lose jobs at the big city theaters, and so he ended up performing in the smaller towns at smaller theaters with Alla. Pavel started his own touring company and invited his lover Alla to join him. The two played opposite each other in a number of plays, and when Pavel needed to sober up before a performance, Alla was there to get him on his feet. And look, that was cute for a time. <laughs> Yeah. She would soon get sick of his alcoholism. Yeah. The owner of a theater in St. Petersburg took a chance on Pavel, even though he had this reputation for being a drunk, and he allowed him to produce and put on plays there. Alla alerted Pavel to Ibsen's Ghosts, which he had never read before. 
There wasn't a big role in it for Ala, but he promised her that he would make her the lead in his next production. That was a promise he went back on, Hmm. which pissed her off. The play was a hit amongst Russian elites, bolstering Pavel's celebrity and leaving Ala feeling left behind, especially after he canceled the play that he said he would cast her in next. Hmm. They drifted apart, and Ala feared that they would break up, but they did get back together for a very controversial production. Ooh. In 1903, Pavel cast Alla as the lead in The Chosen People, which was a new play by Evgeny Chirikov. The play was about Jews in Russia living under Tsar Nicholas II's oppressive regime. At the time, there was a very popular anti-Jewish propaganda play called The Swindlers, and this play was sort of a response to that. Mm -hmm. A play condemning the Tsar was controversial enough, but... The fact that it starred a Jew was doubly controversial and downright risky for Allah. Yeah. Pavel, who was not Jewish, was like, let's do it. I love risk. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, yeah, but I'm the one who's going to get fucked. Uh, Yeah. That's good for you. But Allah was down to do this. Of course. She did want to do it. And at the time, there was this new law that had been passed, barring Jews from participating in, quote, audacious conduct. What? And this would have been considered audacious conduct. And on opening night of the play, police in St. Petersburg shut the production down before curtain call. Like, they stormed the theater. And everyone, like, theater goers ran out screaming. Yeah. Alla and the rest of the cast are like, oh, shit, are we going to get arrested? Yeah. And, like tortured in jail but fortunately that didn't happen they were threatened with imprisonment but they knew we got to get out of here yeah we got to leave so pavel decided he's going to take this production of the chosen people on the road and in october of 1904 the chosen people opened in berlin the play was met with praise but was not a smash hit only running for two weeks in a small theater Alla pawned off the last of her jewelry so the production could travel next to London. And in January of 1905, The Chosen People opened at the Avenue Theater, where it was also met with acclaim. And though the play was performed in Russian, the audience was left moved. Hmm. And where did the production have to go next? Broadway, baby! (laughs) (laughs) Alla, Pavel, and the rest of the company arrived in New York in February of 1905. They sought the help of the town's biggest showman, Charles Froman. They got connected to this guy through a dude in London who was so impressed with their performances. Pavel asked Charles Froman that they be given just one chance to perform just one matinee show. Yeah. Not even a nighttime show. Just give us the space for one show. And at the time, there was this growing number of Russian Jewish immigrants coming into New York City. Right. And they might be potentially interested in seeing this play. Ahead of their first performance, Alla reconnected with her uncle Osip, who was now living in Brooklyn and working as a dentist. He fixed Alla's teeth free of charge for her. And he let her and Pavel stay in his apartment. The rest of the cast was able to use this apartment as their rehearsal space. On March 23rd, 1905, 
The Chosen People opened at the Herald Square Theater for a matinee performance to rave reviews. The New York Times said, Imagination could hardly conjure up a more deeply moving series of pictures of human suffering than was revealed in the performance by the exiled St. Petersburg players, who appeared for the first time in this country at the Herald Square Theater yesterday afternoon. Allah's performance was praised as well. Madame Nazimova is an actress of wonderful, temperamental, and technical quality, and it seems hardly possible that any actress could surpass her in the playing of the tremendously difficult role of Leah. Following the success of their performance, Allah and the St. Petersburg players were now given the opportunity to do more shows of this play. Then they got to do another production. Their next production was the show Tsar Fyodor, for which Allah and two seamstresses painstakingly sewed dozens of elaborate costumes in her uncle's attic. The show was not nearly as well attended as The Chosen People, which sent Pavel into a spiral, causing him to get back on the sauce. He's like, fuck it, I'm drinking again. He nearly missed a performance because he was drunk, but he did make it on stage. The company's June performances of Crime and Punishment at a Lower East Side theater were very well attended by the immigrant community. One person in attendance who loved the show was Russian-Jewish anarchist Emma Goldman. Mm. Emma offered to raise money for the company, and she gave them a place to stay on a commune in Pelham Bay. Unfortunately for Allah, Emma and Pavel had the hots for each other. Uh-oh. And they started fucking. But Allah had her own stuff going on on the side, yeah. too. She was annoyed, but... This, Not, she this, didn't really care. Uh, yeah, I mean, she 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 also felt like, well, I can't really complain. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I got some stuff happening, too. Alla and Pavel have conflicting versions of what happened after this. Alla did leave for Russia again, and she said it was because a theater in Moscow offered her a contract, which most likely wasn't true, given how extremely anti-Semitic yeah. things had gotten over there. But it's believed Alla only told this story to protect her pride. Because yeah. she was like, I, you know, Pavel had burned her. Yeah. She's like, well, I got offered a contract. Yes. In Moscow. I could just go back there. Now, the last name she chose is Russian. Yes. Right? Yes. Pavel said that he sent her back to Russia to recruit new actors for the company. What, oh, he said he did it. He, he sent her back. They both had conflicting yeah, yeah, versions yeah. of why she went back there. Got it. Whatever happened, Alla reconnected with an old flame who was now <laughs> staying in Paris. She most likely met Latvian Jewish artist Maurice Stern backstage after a performance of The Chosen People. Maurice was a pussy hound. Yeah. This guy was very horny. I love old school um, pussy hounds. Yeah. Like from like the turn of the century in the 20s. I don't know. They're just a different, especially when they're artistic. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Because they're perverted. They're very perverted. They seem unassuming because it's like a guy who could look like, I don't know, Albert Einstein, but he's like a playwright. Yeah. And he's just a complete pussy hound. No, that's this guy. Yeah. I just love that type. This guy fucked a lot of bitches. Yeah. 
And he it. was very horny, especially for all. But they're intellectual. Yeah. <laughs> he he's a sculptor. Ooh. This guy was a sculptor. Uh, maybe he sculpted all his pussy. Love it. Maybe. I'm just making that up. But the, uh, it's been done, right? That's like the greatest honor. Yeah. <laughs> to have it turned into an ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those 50s ashtrays kind of are pussy-esque. Yeah, I have one. Yeah. They are. They're a little um, erotic. So Maurice and Allah have this very hot and heavy affair for just two weeks. Whoa. While in Paris. <laughs> while in Paris. It was so hot that it ended with Maurice proposing to Allah. <gasps> Damn. She accepted, but she was like, I got to go back to New York for some work. And then they both just moved on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to get proposed to by a pussyhound is the greatest compliment, even if it never turns into anything. Yeah. I feel like that was the boost that she needed Yeah, to go back to New York and be like, okay, let's She's get like, back to certified diamond level pussy. <laughs> Yeah. Official. It's official yeah. now. So she's like, I'll meet you back here in the springtime. We'll get married, whatever. She never returned. Yeah. But there's no evidence that they ever like were on bad terms with no, each other. They just probably both moved on. Yeah. Despite Alla and Pavel rekindling their romance and the fact that funds Emma Goldman hoped to raise weren't nearly as much as she thought she could pull... Emma did continue to champion the company by doing PR and interpreting for them in interviews. Hmm. So even though her and Pavel like broke it off, she still believed in the She work. really believed in this company and wanted to support them. The company rented a small shitty theater in the Bowery for their November 1905 performances, which were at first very poorly attended. One night only two people were in the audience. Oof. To which Pavel walked out and said, we give this performance just for you. It's like, don't draw attention to it, Pavel. <laughs> and I please. Think, <laughs> and I'm almost positive one of the people was Allah's uncle. It also makes it incredibly awkward for the two people sitting there. Oh my God, can you imagine? No, I would, this would be my nightmare. Because I, I was like, well, now I have to give all the reactions you that they go, need. Oh, yeah. Yay. <laughs> just like everything. It's too much pressure. It's so much pressure. Emma Goldman convinced theater critics that they should attend these shows, which then garnered all these rave reviews in the press. So it did get attention with her help. With the eventual financial support of wealthy individuals who hosted a fundraiser to keep the company going, the St. Petersburg players were then offered a chance to tour. Oh, good. Jealous of all the attention that Allah was getting, Pavel drank himself into a stupor. Again. Again. (laughs) From Chicago to Boston, the company mingled with society, who all loved Alla. One socialite suggested Alla leave the company for a career on Broadway. Meanwhile, Emma Goldman, who was tagging along on the tour, had disguised her identity as so not to upset the elites. All right. In March of 1906, Pavel was arrested and charged with grand larceny for pocketing money he received from an investor. He spent two days in jail and was bailed out by Emma Goldman. This matter was settled out of court, but between this arrest and Pavel's drinking, Charles Froman and the the theater producer was like, I'm done with this guy. Is Pavel hot? Yeah, I think he's hot. Oh, he's really hot, yeah. Um, I was like, there's only one way 
he's getting away with all this yeah. behavior. He must be incredibly good looking. Yeah, I think he's hot. And um, yeah, I mean, he's like, and he was super talented. Yeah. He's like that movie star, a movie star who's like so talented, but they the insurance gets too high. Right, and yeah. And where it's like a gamble to cast them yeah. every single time. So he returns to Russia, which left Olive free to pursue other opportunities. And that opportunity came when producer Lee Schubert took a chance and offered this unknown actress a five-year contract (gasps) on Broadway. Damn. Signing with Schubert in the spring of 1906 pulled Alla out of poverty. With the cash advance given to her, she bought herself a new pair of shoes and a new suit. Schubert then paid for English lessons for Alla because she only spoke Russian. Now, this is very unusual. What is a Broadway contract? It's like, it, does he own this theater, the Schubert Theater, and she just put, she's in all of their plays? Like, yes. Kind of? Uh-huh. Yes. It was like five, five years of guaranteed work with them. She gets a cut of the box office. I see. She gets paid for these performances, but she's. With him. And she can't do any other productions. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's just not really done that way anymore. I didn't know it ever was. It's almost like old movie studio type stuff. Yeah. So it's like being signing with the studio. Right. But it's with this... Broadway. Broadway dude who's like huge. Yeah. There he was, Lee Schubert. So uh, I'm sorry. I, I erroneously said that Alla only spoke Russian. That's not true. She also did speak German from her time living in Switzerland. Mm. And she might have spoken a little French, but she did not speak English. English was the one she needed. <laughs> English? She needed to know how to speak English. Yeah. And so Alla stopped speaking Russian altogether to really immerse herself mm. and only spoke English while she was learning English. She also attended a number of plays to... Hear it. Listen to how these actors who spoke English were talking. She ended up learning the language in less than six months. Wow. She approached Schubert and insisted that her debut performance be the Ibsen play, Hedda Gabler. Wow. And at first he was hesitant, but he relented. She's like, no, that's the one I'm going to do. It was a play that she... Wanted to do for many years. Pavel had put it on, but she he didn't think she was experienced enough to play the lead. Right. So, and she loves Ibsen. We know this. <laughs> she's an she's an Ibsen girl. Yeah. So he relents. She gets to do Hedda Gabler, and although women directors were unheard of on Broadway, Alma managed to get the show's director Henry Miller, no relation to the author to let her take charge of not only her own performance, but of the rest of the cast. Hmm. She's like, I know Ibsen. (laughs) I know the theater. This is what we should be. Like, she really took charge while they were putting this play together. She made choices that were then considered very unique and unusual, but they resulted in a big payoff. The role of Hedda had been played three years earlier on Broadway by Minnie Mattern Fisk, whose portrayal of Hedda was that of a more pathetic, sad housewife. Alla played Hedda considerably more aggressive and yeah. dramatic, which was a bold move that not everybody liked. Yeah. But the people who liked it loved it. Yeah. On November 13th, 1906, Hedda Gabler premiered. The New York Times wrote, The English-speaking stage is richer today by one great artiste, Madame Ala Nazimova. 
The article praised both her acting and her ability to speak English. But like I said, not every review of Ala's performance was favorable. Some criticized her English or her acting choices, comparing her to Minnie Frisk, Fisk, uh-huh. who they thought was way more in line with Ibsen's interpretation of the role. Um, there was one, I think it was the Brooklyn Tribune, was like, people politely clapped. Uh. Or they, <laughs> they gave a friendly clap. But despite some of the haters, there was this huge collection of positive quotes concerning Allah's performance that were printed in the New York Tribune. The actor... Kyle, I don't know, I can't pronounce this guy's name. It's like Kyle, but with an R in there. Color. <laughs> Kyle Ballou said, she is a great woman and the only one who made Ibsen endurable. Acton Davies of the Evening Sun said, a great performance. For the first time, Hedda stood before us in flesh and blood. And actress Grace George said, she did the impossible. She made Hedda live. The play was also a financial success. And in December, the Tribune reported that Hedda Gabler was still drawing audiences of a, quote, goodly size in its sixth week of performances. So this was good news. All it could sell yes. shows. Yeah. And she took a risk putting on this play. Schubert had told her, Ibsen doesn't sell. I think uh, performances like this that people either love or hate are often huge draws. Yes. Because everyone wants to see which side they're on. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they're like, yeah. I'll decide which one it is. Right. But if it's boring, no one cares. Yeah. Or, or if it's uneventful. Yeah, she really took risks with her acting choices for this role yeah. and her direction that she she helped with. Um, anyway, that's where we're going to end part one. We have a lot more to get to. We got a big Hollywood career. Great. Coming up next week. Cool. Interesting. I don't know anything about her. so She's got a very interesting life. We'll, we have some really good pictures that we will post on our Instagram page. So join us there at Hollywood Crime Scene. We're going to record our after show now, which is available for our Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And we will see you all later this week for the mini episode. Bye. Bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.